Brian Ministries International presents Todd Talks, featuring Todd Edwards. Okay, so an opening thought for today, before we dive into Isaiah. Uh, this word really, really, really struck me, and it's the word way, like Yahweh's way. And I, I, I see the emails um, that, that many of you send and the conversations that are taking place in the chat, the engagement that's taking place in the chat, um, the, the knowledge and the understanding and the wisdom that's being built up. And that is really uh, my desire in the Bible study is to, to have you guys all strengthened as pillars, strengthened as temples, strengthened as the remnant so that you can fulfill your assignment to be strong and, and honor him in this incredible time. Uh, so when I think about the ways of God, it's really about understanding his ways, not just hearing his word and being filled with knowledge. You know that has nothing to do with this Bible study. If we want to do just a knowledgeable Bible study, then we'd all be a bunch of scholars and historians and we'd be dried up. We'd be dry trees. No, we want to be engaged. We want to understand his ways. And his ways is part of how he thinks. What are the inner workings of his heart? That's part of the, the, the word ways. So here is the term uh, ways when we think about his ways. It's Strong's 1870, and it's pronounced direct. And the word ways, direct, so cool in the, in the Strong's, means road, but not just a road. It also is a trodden road. So a, a road that is worn out because he's walking on it. He's walking on it. We're walking on it with him. We're walking, we're walking, we're walking. It's not a new road. It's a road that we're all going along. That's part of his ways. It's a trodden road. Another element of the Strong's definition that is very insightful is this. Derek also means eastward, directionally eastward. It's specifically eastward. It's not north, south, west. It's not all directions. It is eastward, meaning going to the east to his face. So the gate of the temple was facing eastward to his face. So ways, when we want to know his ways, it is a pathway that we want to walk on and walk on and walk on, and we're walking to his face. First mention of ways is also really interesting. Genesis 324. I got on this thought because I was thinking, yeah, well, what, what really are, are you trying to do when we gather together? And he said, I want them to know my ways. And that's how I got on that word. So the first mention of ways is Genesis 324. And it's this. So he drove out the man, Adam. And he placed at the east, there's the east, of the Garden of Eden, cherubims, 
and a flaming sword, which turned every way. Now, every way, that's a different word. So don't, don't think about that as direct. To keep the way, the direct of the tree of life. So what was happening in the garden is because of sin entering into Adam and Eve, the way, the direct, the pathway, the trodden path to face the father's face was blocked by the cherubim. First mention of the word way. So Yeshua comes and allows us to then go to the way of the tree of life again. So we want to know his ways. We want to know that trodden path. We want to wait, go to the place of this face. So that's the word uh, ways. So be thinking about that all the time when you're engaging in prayer, you're engaging with worship. It's about the trodden path to his face. And that was blocked in the Garden of Eden, and now it's opened up again. Opening thought. All right, so now jumping into Isaiah. I think this is going to be our last session in Isaiah. It kind of comes full circle to where we started with Isaiah 49. So just quickly going back to Isaiah 49, you're going to see how it, it links uh, together. So Isaiah 49 opens up and says, listen, O islands unto me. And I keep hinting at, okay, what are the islands? What are the islands? We're going to get into the islands a little bit today. Hearken, you people from far. He's talking about Israel, and we're going to get into that today too. Yahweh has called me from the womb, from the bowels, from my mother. He has made mention of it. Jumping ahead, this is where we really got started in Isaiah. Isaiah 49, mm, roughly 13. Isaiah th uh, 49, 13. Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth. Break forth into singing, O mountains, for Yahweh has comforted his people and will have mercy upon his afflicted. This is Yahweh's full plan to bring his people back into fellowship with him, back into the ways of Yah. And all of creation is going to be singing and rejoicing because they are crying out for this. They are waiting for this. They are witnesses of this. And then verse 14 is where we started. But Zion said, Yahweh has forsaken me and my Adon has forgotten me. So this whole study in Isaiah has been the reply of Yah to this question from Zion. Zion's crying out, what about me? You're getting your people. You're aligning heaven and earth. You're bringing creation into place. What about me? And all of our study has been that answer. In so many ways, Zion will be answered and will come down onto the earth. And she will marry the earth. And of course, we are Zion and we got in all these different kinds of things, but this is full circle now today to Isaiah 66. So Isaiah 66, here we go. And as I was kind of going through that, the Isaiah 66, there's different launching places that we can go into, but I want to read through it as a theme, hit some things 
And then there's one topic in particular that I'm going to go super deep on because I think it's so pertinent for today and who Zion is. So Isaiah 66, verse 16. I'm going to read all the way through this. We have a theme to it. For by fire and by his sword will Yahuwah plead with all flesh, and the slain of Yahuwah shall be many. They that sanctify themselves and purify themselves in the gardens behind a tree in the midst, eating swine's flesh and the abomination and the mouse, shall be consumed, says Yahuwah. For I know their works and their thoughts. It shall come that I will gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. And I will set a sign among them, and I will send those that escape of them unto the nations, to Tarshish, Pol, and Lud, that draw the bow to Tubal, to Javan, to the islands, there's the islands, afar off, that they have not heard my fame, neither have seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory amongst the nations. And they shall bring all of your brothers, there's a brothers and sisters, you bring all the brothers and sisters, all the remnant, for an offering unto Yahuwah out of the nations upon horses and chariots and leaders. Leaders is another word for like a covered kind of vehicle. Back then it'd be like a covered wagon or something like that. And upon mules and upon swift beasts and upon my to my, to my holy mountain, Jerusalem, says Yahuwah. As the children of Israel bring an offering in a clean vessel unto Yahuwah, to the house of Yahuwah. And I will take of them for priests and for Levites, says Yahuwah. For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says Yahuwah, so shall your seed and your name remain. And it shall come to pass from one new moon to another, from one Sabbath to another, shall all flesh come to worship me before me, says Yahuwah. And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me, for their worm shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh. It's like, what? Why did you throw this last verse in here at the end? But this is like a stamp of the fear of Yahuwah at the end. All right, so let's back up to 16. So this theme, what's happening here at the, in, in the very end, ties back to Isaiah 49. Because Isaiah 49 is summarizing, hey, all of these events are happening. You're gathering your people back into the land, the geographic land that's promised to Israel, to Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth are rejoicing. And how it's being done is being described here. And by whom is being described here in great detail. And we're going to dive into that part. So at verse 16, for fire, by fire and by his sword will Yahuwah plead. Well, first of all, that whole word plead is a mess. It really shouldn't be plead. It sounds like God is begging. He's begging, really? He's begging with all flat? No, he's not. So the word plead is Strong's 8199. It's Shafat. It really means to judge. So he is judging. He is judging all the nations. He's in total control, total power. He's not coming as the lamb this time. He's coming as the lion. He is not begging the nations for attention. He is judging the nations. 
The first mention of this word is also an indication of really what is happening. So the first mention of Shaphat is Genesis 16. Now, if we do a, a study in Genesis, it's, everything is first mentioned. That would be a, that would be a very long study. Genesis 15, uh, 16, verse 5. Really interesting understanding of what this first mention is. Genesis 16, 5. Shaphat, judge. And Sarah said unto Abram, my wrong be upon you. Now, keep in mind, Sarah, according to Paul's understanding in Galatians 4, is the mother of us all, symbolically, just like Zion is. So you have Sarah as Jerusalem above, Zion, and you have Hagar as Jerusalem below, city of heaven, city of Zion, city of Babylon. So now Sarah is making a proclamation in Genesis 16, 5. My wrong be upon you, Abram. I have given my maid unto your bosom. And when she saw that she conceived, I was despised in her eyes. Now catch this. Yahuwah judge, Shaphat. In Isaiah, it was translated plead. So you can see that doesn't make any sense. Yahuwah judge between me and you. So what's happening is the first mention, going back to Isaiah, is there is an intention at this time in Isaiah 66, 16, that he is going to judge between the city of Babylon and the city of Zion. The descendants of Sarah, who are free, and the descendants of Hagar, who are in bondage. That's what Yahweh is going to do. This is him coming and saying, who are you lining up? Are you free or you're in bondage? Are you of Zion or are you of Babylon? That's where the word plead comes from. Fire and sword. We talked a little bit last time about the, the fire, and we went into the great detail back to Isaiah 66, 16. Fire and sword. We, as the remnant, have been going through the fire and sword. We go through the refiner's fire. We have the two-edged sword applied to us. That cuts through bone and marrow and sword and soul and spirit in the intense of our heart. We have that going on as part of walking his ways in the journey. But for folks that aren't there at this time, they get the fire and sword applied like all at once. Um, think about everything that as an individual you have gone through in your journey of molding and crafting and what God is taking you on in terms of building up your character condensed all in one shot. That's really what they're going to be going through. I think that's also why the, the author of Hebrews in chapter four says, seek Yahweh while he may be found. Today is the day of salvation. You don't want to get a compression of all of your character building all at once through the fire and the sword. See, we get it mercifully with his patience over the course of time, and they're going to get blasted by his fire. Refiner's fire, boom. They're going to get blasted by his sword coming out of his mouth. So I look at this, and this is part of the city of Zion, city of Babylon, and the contrast that's taking place. Very intense. I think it's very intense. Now, the slain is also very 
very interesting and and revelatory in where this word slain comes. This is Strong's 2491. And by the way, if I'm starting to ramp up, wait until we really get into the people groups because there's <laughs> nothing a lot to be said. Um, so slain, Strong's 2491, Kal Lal. Kal Lal, I'll put that in the chat. I gotta slow down, slain. Put this in the chat, Kalal. And of course, this will all come out in the notes because I wrote some notes up and I'm taking some mental notes as we're going through this. So slain. First mention is also very revealing. First mention of Kalal, Genesis 34, 27. And it does literally mean slain. But how it's used is fascinating. So Genesis 34, verse 27. This is uh, when Dinah, Jacob's daughter, is brought in. Um, yeah, brought in is a nice way to say it. Uh, by the Shechemites. And Jacob's sons are infuriated. So Genesis 35, verse 27. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain, and this is when they come into Shechem, spoiled the city because they had defiled their sister. Now, it, it, okay, Todd, where are, you getting, where are you going with this? In this whole chapter, what's happening is uh, this son of Shechem is in love with Dinah, and he wants to marry her. He wants to, they, they want to intermingle, and they come up and say, we really want peace, Jacob, with you and your family. How about um, we, we give you sons and daughters, you give us sons and daughters, we'll intermingle, we'll have a peace treaty. And the sons of Jacob are furious. They don't want their lineage defiled in any way, not only by the event, but also by the bloodline. So they come up with this plan and say, guess what? Um, Shechem, Hamor, your whole crew, how, if you really want to do this, okay, we're okay with this, circumcise yourselves. So they go through this circumcision and then they kill them. Jacob's son kills them. This reminds me of Revelation, also last days, of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews, but they are not. This whole Shechemite clan are pretending to be like the Israelites through circumcision, but they're not. And what happens? They get slain. So this is an indication also in Isaiah 66, 16 of pointing back to what's about to happen. This is how you actually slay the Zionists. They are revealed for who they are. They get the refiner's fire, the sword of the spirit all at once. They get identified for who they are. They are actually at the city of Babylon. And then they get slain. But they're pretending to be intermingled with Israel. They're pretending to be intermingled with Judah. So all of this comes out and is revealed. And Jacob, of course, is uh, guys, you know, 
sons, you, you have, you shamed me. You have concerned me. Well, Jacob was Jacob and he did not know how to confront the enemy yet. In fact, the very next chapter in Genesis after Genesis 34 is Jacob having to confront Esau in Genesis 35. And Esau, as we know, and we've talked about this before, someone mentioned going to Obadiah. Obadiah talks about Edom. Edom is our last day foe. That is a hiding ground for the Zionist amongst Edom. Caiaphas was an Edomite, the high priest Caiaphas. It's a hiding ground. So Jacob is then having to confront really his enemy in full front and in, in, in direct impact. So he wasn't ready for that in Genesis 34, but it's interesting to see that's what it's about. To, to, to slay the enemy who is actually pretending to be your, your brother and sister. Isaiah 66, just to keep things moving along, 17. They that thanks sanctify themselves and purify themselves in the gardens behind a tree in the midst, eating swine's flesh and the abomination of, uh, and the mouse shall be consumed together, says Yahweh. The religious get hit and judged the heaviest. This is the group. No, this is not just a bunch of pagans. Remember, and this is going to be tied to with all the people group conversation we're about to have. Israel were some of the worst at worshiping false idols. They welcomed in Babylon real quick. They worked about, worked, uh, brought in the Egyptian gods real fast, the Mesopotamian gods real fast, the Persians got. They had all kinds of stuff going on. That's the whole reason that Israel got split. That's the whole reason that Israel got scattered was because of their idolatry. So now we're looking at verse 17, and it gets into the religious. It's people who are going through religious acts and think they're okay, but actually they are not worshiping God. They're worshiping a false entity. There's a picture here, though, as, as what Isaiah is describing, which is an anti-Eden. So you have a garden where typically the priests of Baal, the worship of worshipers of Baal would come to. There is a garden that he's describing. There is a tree, not the tree of life that we just talked about in the last verse. There is an anti-lamb, being a swine, a pig. There's all of this idolatry that is the opposite of what we do. We come to the Garden of Eden. We come to the Tree of Life. We come to Yeshua, the Lamb. And we offer up our praise and, and worship in, in holy manner, with holy hands and in clean vessels. They're doing the opposite. And this is right amongst us. What, what the one word mouse comes to mind is, uh, how many times in scripture are mice referred to are rats not very many but there is a mention of it in first samuel chapter six when the ark of the covenant is amongst the philistines and there is boils that come out and what do the philistines do when they send the ark back they say well 
here's little golden nuggets and little golden mice. <laughs> Maybe this will honor this God of Israel that we don't know, but is destroying us. So somehow there must have been a plague of mice that was being spread out because they were trying to appease what they thought were mice gods. So it kind of references what's going on here. This goes right back into the heart of Baal worship. Isaiah 66, 17. Isaiah 66, 18. For I know their works and their thoughts, and it shall come that I will gather the nations in tongues, and they shall see my glory. Let's go to Psalm 92.5. Share this. Psalm 92.5. Oh, Yahweh, how great are your works, and your thoughts are very deep. This is also part of the contrast of <clears throat> us walking the ways of Yahuwah now and for days and for weeks and for months and for years. <clears throat> and then all of a sudden they're going to get his glory and his glory is going to be revealed. Isaiah 40 verse 5. Isaiah 40 verse 5. The glory of Yahweh will be revealed. And some of us will be more ready than others. And the ones in the city of Babylon, this is why they're going to cry and ask for rocks to fall on them. This is why they're going to hide. Isaiah 40, verse 5. And the glory of Yahweh shall be revealed in all flesh. It really means all mankind shall see it together for the mouth of Yahweh has spoken. I was uh, in a conversation with somebody yesterday, and they're, they're now interested in finding Jesus and understanding who Jesus is. And it's really neat to see their, their curiosity, and they're asking questions, and uh, they're, they have a spiritual background in, in kind of new age, so they're kind of coming from it with a spiritual understanding but now they're realizing Jesus is the spirit. He is the creator God. He is the one and only God. And starting to ask questions about this. And then said, well, how do I know when he returns? Because there's many thoughts and beliefs out there about the coming of the Messiah. Is he coming for the first time? Is he coming for the second time? Is he going to come where I'm not going to know? And we know that many religions, Islam believes that the Messiah, their Messiah is going to come. We know that uh, the Zionists believe that their Messiah is going to come. We, we know from our beliefs, of course, that the Messiah will come. But how does he come? He is going to come this way. All nations, all people will see his glory coming in the clouds. He's not going to be hidden. You don't have to worry about, whoops, you missed him. He was over there in the wilderness somewhere. Oh, he was hiding in the cave and five people saw him. Oh, I fell asleep. <laughs> He's, I, I, I missed him. He just showed up for like five seconds, kind, kind of like a shooting star or uh, the, the, the northern lights. No, all flesh, all at once, 
all of his glory. That's, that's how intense this is going to be. So I was sharing that with this person. You don't have to worry about it. <laughs> you will see him. You will see him. He is coming. Okay, so now, here we go into what the real meat of what I want to share with you from Isaiah 66. I think it's so pertinent today. So, Isaiah 66, verses 19 and 20. And you might be thinking, oh, good grief, what is this all about? Why would you spend time in these two verses and not all the other fun verses? Well, first of all, notice the translation of Gentile and nation. I want to point that out. In verse 19, in my King James, the very last word of the verse is translated Gentile. In verse 20, it says, unto Yahuwah out of all the nations upon horses and all these other vehicles. It's the same word. It's goy. It means nations. We've talked about this before. They are trying, the, the translators are trying to put a spin on this for us. To get us to think a certain way. They're trying to get us to think there is separation between Jew and Gentile, a separation between Israel and the rest of the world. They're trying to get us to think a certain way about separation of people groups. That's what's happening. It's subtle throughout all of scripture. That's why I continue to translate on the fly, goy into nations, nations, nations. I don't use the word Gentiles. It's a garbage word. It's goyim. Now, if you want to say everything in terms of nations, everything is Gentile. Okay, you need to reset then, reset your mindset on what nations are. This is at the heart of one of the great deceptions going on right now, which is division. It's Gentiles, Jews, Gentiles, nations, Israel, pagans. We're going to now step on everybody's toes in what you believe about history. Here we go. All right. We're going to launch off into this whole thing about people groups. The world, the kingdom of darkness, wants to group people by physical ethnicity and history and tribe. But they have rewritten history. They have renamed tribes. So we don't know who's who. We actually think we know because we've been taught in our textbooks, but we don't. Yahuwah groups people by birthright, by character traits, by blessings and cursings. Even groups that are intermingled, he groups people by which citizen they are. Are they a citizen of Zion? Or are they a citizen of Babylon? Totally different perspective on how differentiations are taking place. Totally different. There has always been a bloodline battle, and we've talked about this over and over again. Adam versus Satan. 
Jacob and Esau. Repeatedly, there's always been a battle of the birthright, the birthright in antagonist. There are also character traits that have been given very specifically for a reason of Israel's sons in Genesis 48 and 49 and Deuteronomy 33. So we have to have a different lens. And when we look at the people groups in the earth, even today, we have to have a totally different lens than what the world says. In fact, for the most part, whatever the world tells, tells you, probably the right reaction right away is it's wrong. It's probably the opposite. <laughs> and then you go in a different direction. Question, basically question everything that people are saying to you. That's what the Bereans were doing with Paul. They received with an open heart, and they even searched the scriptures against the great apostle Paul to make sure those things were true. We don't do that enough in our general society today, whether it is news, whether it's history, whether it's the books we study. So what I'm going to share with you today is kind of a, a combination of all different kinds of books that I've gone through over the years. Uh, studying the word and prayerful revelation in the spirit to mix all this together because it is not as simple as this group is bad this group is good this group is israel this group is not israel it's not that simple this group came from this continent this group came from that continent it's actually not that simple this group is of ham Japheth, shem no it's not even that simple this is all mixed together, and the way we have to look at it is through the spirit, through character traits that God has placed in individuals and in groupings of people at times, collectively, but then what he's really getting at is, who are the citizens? Where does your citizenship belong to? So history of Israel, just as a little example, and then we're going to get into more and more and more, and we're going to go deep, 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 deep. So let's just start with Israel. Then we're going to back up to Noah. Then we're going to back up to the table of nations in Genesis 10. And that's why we're going into this because I, um, Isaiah 66, 19 and 20 talks about the people groups and what they will be doing specifically in the last days. Jacob's sons, his 12 sons had four moms. <laughs> so right away, you have a mixing of people. And if you add on Joseph, and Joseph's kids into the mix of the tribes. Joseph was intermarried with Pharaoh's daughter. So now you got five mothers amongst the sons of Israel or the tribes of Israel. You don't think that that family looked really different? That is, that's already a mixed family. And oh, by the way, they go into Egypt. And when they come out of Egypt, the Egyptians intermingle with them as well. And Yahweh blesses it and says, yes, anybody that follows me and wants to obey my commandments, come on in. So right away, things are really, really mixed. That's just the way it was. In addition, when Israel then goes into the land of Canaan, they immediately start intermingling. Even with the Canaanites, this is documented throughout Joshua and the book of Judges, they were intermingling with the people groups that were already there. 
they did not drive them out from the land. That even includes, ay, 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 yes, Canaanites of descendants of Cain, of the descendants of the ben Halal Elohim. Even that was intermingled, even they were intermingled with Israel. Before the Assyrian takeover, where Israel gets scattered to the, gets scattered everywhere, Israel was also intermingling all over the place. When we think about the time of King Solomon and maybe the height of the Israelite empire, what was going on with Solomon? Well, Solomon was in league with Haram of Phoenicia or Tyre. And he was in league with Pharaoh of Egypt. He was married. His first wife was the daughter of, of Pharaoh. So you have this whole dominant empire, not just in the, around the Mediterranean, but northern Africa coast, going down into Africa, all of the Middle East, Israel going east, all of the northern part of the Mediterranean and going north, dominated by this group. This is a, a triage of three very strong countries. Now, Phoenicia. Phoenicia was already being intermingled with the tribe of Dan. The Danites, the reason that they were so good at traveling and documented throughout the scriptures, traveling in the waters, was because of the Phoenicians. The Phoenicians were basically Israelites. There was a mix of Israelites. And Phoenicia goes all over the earth. They sail past the Strait of Gibraltar. They go into Northern Europe. They go south around Africa. There's documents, all kinds of books that talk about them going into the Americas. This is the Phoenicians. We talk about having a phonetic lit language or phonetic ling linguistics. They have it from their alphabet. Where does alphabet come from? Aleph Beit. It's Hebrew. The Phoenicians were speaking Hebrew as a dialect of Hebrew. And that was being propagated throughout all of the world because they were intermingled with the Israelites. So right from King Solomon's time, as an example, they are intermingling all over the place before they even get sifted. So which, which people group are good? Were the Phoenicians good? Were the, were the Egyptians good? Well, they were buddies with Israel and Israel was intermingling with them and they were doing projects together. So now what are you going to do? Well, Israel's good. And so you, you can't just say, I'm drawing the line right here. And this is God's people. And this is not God's people. Or I come from this line and I come or I come from this line. Right in the beginning, you can't do that. In fact, you keep going. Not only did they, they intermingle with the Canaanites that were in the land, Ishmael are Semites. Edom, Esau, they're Semitic peoples. Moab, Ammon, descendants of Lot, they're Semitic peoples. They were intermingling with other people as well. So you have all kinds of mishmash going on. Libya was also a big powerhouse a little bit after the time of Solomon, where Libya were also great sailors. In fact, this is where you get the birth of the Carthagians. In fact, when when you go into history and look at Carthage, Carthage really started to come forth as a nation during the time of the drought of Elijah. Because most of history points to Carthage being an Israelite colony. 
So now the Carthaginians in Libya are also Israelites. Let me share. Let me share a few things. I don't know this off the top of my head, so let me go to my notes. But I want to share a little bit with Carthage. Carthage. The original name was Carjath Hadashah. That is a Hebrew name. That was the very first name of Carthage. Karjath actually means city. That is the word for city. It was new city, kind of like we York is, uh, in England, and they came over and had New York or New Amsterdam because the Dutch founded Manhattan and called it New Amsterdam. The Israelites came into the land of Carthage and founded it in the Hebrew tongue, New City. The Greeks then called it Carthagen. The Romans called it Carthojo. So that's where we get Carthage from. The chief magistrates historically of Carthage were called Shepotim, the word for judges. So in Hebrew, the chief magistrates actually were judges in, in the Hebrew tongue. Carthage was also descendants of Israel and Phoenicia. They were the dominant player around 600 BC to about 200 BC on the seas of the Mediterranean. They controlled the entire Mediterranean all the way to the Strait of Gibraltar. In fact, did not let the Greeks go through the Strait of Gibraltar to go into the Americas and everywhere else. But the Carthaginians have all kinds of history and historical facts um, in the Americas as they were sailing. So they blocked the Strait of Gibraltar. And eventually, uh, they came against the Roman Empire in around 200, I think it's 216 BC. Carthage in the second Punic War, so Punic, P-U-N-I-C, that is um, the, the phrase of the Carthaginian Wars. So they, in the Second Punic War, almost defeated the Romans, wiped out about 70,000 of them at that time. They didn't, they didn't push on to take out the Romans, and the Romans fought back. But Carthage and Roman, uh, the Roman Empire, they were two main uh, rivals at that time. They were led by uh, the, the general um, uh, Hannibal. Where do you think that name comes from? That actually is a Hebrew name and a derivative of a worshiper of Baal. <laughs> because Israel bringing their Baal worship, then as near colony, they come and they do Baal worship and intermingle it with Yahweh worship. So it's all one big mess. So that's Carthage. But there's more. So when we come to Amos, take a look at Amos, because we're just starting to get going here. Amos 9.9. This is what points us to what's happening with Israel. Because, and, and, and I, I know a lot of people have struggled with this. If you don't understand, I'm not saying you guys, but a lot of people struggle with, in, in Christian organized churches, with this understanding of Israel and God's promises to Israel. Okay, so is Israel the church? Israel was an age and now it's the church age. I mean, it creates all kinds of crazy confusion because they don't understand scripture. But Amos 9.9 says this, For lo, I will command and I will sift the house of Israel amongst the nations, like corn is sifted in a sieve, yet shall not the least grain fall into the earth. So Israel was already intermingling and being spread out amongst nations all over the place. And now after they're kicked out of the land and taken into captivity by Assyria, 
They are literally scattered to the ends of the earth. Israel has planted a seed everywhere. Everywhere. There is no people group that the ends of the earth does not include. Everywhere. So Israel is everywhere. That's why Acts 1, chapter, uh, verse 8, Yeshua says to the disciples, go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost places of the earth. Why? Because Israel is in the uttermost places of the earth. Let's talk about a few more examples. Uh, Manasseh. So Manasseh, right away when they come into the land, they're on both the east and the west side of the Jordan. They're kind of separated from the rest of Israel because they're a bulk of them is on the east side of the Jordan. So that's, there's going to be a tendency of this natural separation of the Jordan River. Uh, you know what? Let's go to the east. It just is, it's, it's a natural thing when you kind of separate people groups by uh, waterways or, or mountains, you're going to have a tendency to scatter. So Manasseh naturally scattered uh, even that early before they were taken into captivity by Assyria. So Manasseh starts to scatter. There is evidence, historic evidence in India that Manasseh got there. They were called the, I'm going to put this in the text because I don't even know how to pronounce this properly. But there's a people group historically in India. Masagete, I think as it's called. Masagete that tra track their lineage back to Manasseh and back to Israel. There was a Saka group, descendants of Sak or Isaac. Isaac, sons of Isaac, in India. They're actually, we all know, we know historically about Attila the Hun. Oh, Attila, the Huns were terrible. Actually, there were different groups of Huns. And one group of Huns actually considered themselves Israelite back in history. They were called the Massagetai Huns. So you can't even group all the Huns together under Attila. <laughs> All of that group is really different. They're all mixed. So why am I saying this about India? Well, historically, we know that the Apostle Thomas went east. And he was evangelizing. Now, wait a minute. Why would Thomas go east? It's because of Acts 1.8. Yeshua told the disciples, go to find the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So they get scattered everywhere. So Thomas goes east. He's going to the lost sheep of the house of Israel that are in India. So I go and I, I'm, I'm having a couple of weeks ago, I went with my dad to uh, a doctor's appointment. And the, the, the physician is from India. He is a Christian from India. And right out of his mouth, when I asked him, oh, so tell me a little bit about your background. He said, oh, well, when people ask uh, like um, the, the Russian Orthodox. Oh, our lineage goes all the way back to so-and-so in, in, in centuries and centuries. I tell them, well, our lineage goes back to Thomas and beyond, where Christianity got planted in India. 
So now you have amongst the Indian people, you have Israel from before Yeshua. And then Thomas is sent to evangelize to understand the scriptures that they had in their place. Now, keep in mind, that doesn't mean that India is clean in terms of they are followers of Yahweh and obedient. No, because remember, Israel wasn't clean. Israel was serving Baal. So it's a, a mishmash of all kinds of things going on. So, so that's India. I mentioned Carthage. Um, there's other incredible empires that have been built up over the course of time that you guys can do research on. Um, Parthia, I've done a lot of research on Parthia. Parthia, of course, was the main uh, rival of Rome at the time of Christ. And it was the Parthian Empire that was on the eastern side of Euphrates. It was the Parthian Empire that had the Magi. So when the Magi come into town and all of Jerusalem is troubled and Herod is tiptoeing around them, doesn't really want to take them out. Herod should be in the place of, man, these people are coming and they're saying, there's a king other than me, off with their heads. He doesn't. He is frightened to death. Because he's on the eastern edge of a major rivalry between Rome and Parthia. The Parthians just send their magi, who are their priests, to announce a king during a time of peace. And Herod's caught in the middle of it. That's really what's happening. Well, the Parthians were Israelites. And that's why they were coming to anoint a king. So there's a whole bunch of understanding about the Parthians. The Goths. They are also Israelite tribes. In fact, uh, when the Goths finally sacked Rome in around 400 AD, the leader of the Goths was called Theodric, or Prince of God, was his name. And they were actually more uh, civilized in their culture, in their dealings with women and children, than the Romans were. But because we get Roman, Greco-Roman history, it was reversed. And we say that they are barbarians, but they actually weren't barbarians. They were more civilized than the Romans. The Scythians were also a major empire and people group. They were more of a nomad group going kind of all over, north and east. So you have group after group after group where Israel gets scattered. The names of the, of the people groups get intermingled and they get uh, changed over the course of time on purpose so god god is actually hiding his people and at the same time satan is trying to hide god's people and their heritage it's everywhere we can go on and on and on about this simon of serene do you guys know simon of serene he was the one that when yeshua was carrying the cross falls and simon of serene takes the cross on his back well he came from serene which is in libya he was on a pilgrimage for the Passover from Libya because Libya, Libya also had lots of Israelites. So you can say Simon of Libya. He was the one that carried the cross. That was a Punic region, P-U-N-I-C. I have a bloodline tracing of different kinds of Native American Indian groups. The Cherokees, here's an example. The Cherokees, uh, there was a, you guys all heard about the Rosetta Stone. <clears throat> the Rosetta Stone was a stone that 
they started to understand the Egyptian hieroglyphs from understanding the other languages that were on the stones. So they ah, this now we understand the Egyptian hieroglyphs and what the meanings were. There was actually a stone amongst the Cherokee Nation <clears throat> that was found. They call it the Bat Creek Stone. It was found in Bat Creek. <clears throat> there was a stone that the historians and the archaeologists were looking at this and saying, I don't know what this is. It's a bunch of like old Indian symbols and pictures or whatever. Someone finally got to the place where they understood, they've seen, they were, they were familiar with the Egyptian hieroglyphs. They saw this stone and realized that it was a combination of old Indian hieroglyphs and Egyptian hieroglyphs, and catch this, Paleo-Hebrew. Found in North Carolina way before Yeshua, because Israel, the Phoenicians, the Carthaginians, the Egyptians were already sailing through the Strait of Gibraltar long time ago. And there's all kinds of books on this. Recently, when I say recently, compared to all this history that we're talking about, uh, recently in the early 1800s, there was a, a, a very famous Cherokee Indian. His name was Sekoya. <laughs> he did the translation of the Cherokee language uh, in, in a written format to keep the Cherokee language. Well, listen to his name again, Sekoya. In that people group amongst those Indians, many of them have names with Ya because it comes from Hebrew. In fact, a lot of the the words that the Cherokee have are also Hebraic words. It's amazing. Um, go on and on and on. The Saxons, the Sauk Indians. Sauk comes from Isaac. Go into some of the, the, there's a slave map that I have from 1747 of the west coast of Africa. 1747 um, on the western coast in the current countries of Benin, and Togo was actually named the Kingdom of Judah. 1747 slave map, Kingdom of Judah. So there was a whole bunch of the, who they were saying, we are the tribe of Judah in what's now known as Benin and Togo. So you can see, you can go on and on and on and on. It is all over the place. Israel truly was dispersed on their own and then scattered by Yahuwah to the uttermost parts of the nations. So when I hear history being taught in a certain way, when I hear history trying to be retaught in a certain way, my, my view of history is I don't mind reading anything and then I pull it all together and I interpret it by the word and I interpret it by the spirit. Even if you're reading a biography, read a biography from a couple different viewpoints, not just the author's viewpoint. This is where all this information has come from. I've read from different places uh, and, and st studied things. And you can start to see then a picture because many people, supposed Christian people will say, well, Israel 
actually went down into Ethiopia. That's where Judah is. Well, Israel actually went to the British Islands. That, that's where they are. Well, Israel actually went through Armenia. Well, Israel actually went to Egypt. You know, there's actually elements of truth in probably all those places because Israel went everywhere. But when you get stuck on a certain doctrine of history, you're going to be wrong. Just like when you get, get caught in a certain doctrine of religion or biblical truth, then you become a orthodox and you get stuck as a Baptist, you get stuck as a Pentecost, you get stuck as a Lutheran, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We want to open up the lens and see it how God sees it. There's more. More, 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 more. One of many reasons that I love the bride tribe is because we do represent Israel and we didn't try. You haven't heard preaching, teaching from Dan about, hey, the, you know, th this, this racial group, this ethnic group, this historic group. This is probably the first teaching you've heard from Bride on races and dispersion kind of the, to this depth of Israel. Because if you're really drawn by the spirit, you're drawn, Israelites are drawn by hearing the word, that's going to happen from a spiritual standpoint. You don't have to try. But there's another reason that I'm kind of digging into this today. And that is because when we have wounds, by the way, I'm still not done. We're, we haven't gone to the table of nations yet and to the verses themselves. But when we have wounds of any kind, we can't see. And the survivor community knows this. When, when you're wounded in the heart, when you're wounded in the soul, when you're wounded in the spirit, you're blinded to things. It's the same thing about our understanding of Israel, about our understanding of bloodlines, about our understanding of races today. If you have been wounded in your soul about that, you're actually blind. You can't see. So what I'm trying to do today is blow all this up, open up some understanding from God's lens, God's ways and how he sees people. So that we can start the healing process of this. I'm being really, really hard on this point because I am surrounded by different ethnic groups um, in, in my work, in my, in my life, and most of them can't see because of woundings of race. And that goes for everybody. And the woundings of race really comes from here in religion. That's why they translate these things, Gentiles and Jews and Israel and church. And it's division, it's division, it's division. It's such a beautiful picture when you see God sifted Israel like seed amongst all nations so that all nations would be intermingled with Israel and intermingled with the blessings and the birthright and have an opportunity 
to hear the word of Yah. That's why I'm hitting on this so hard. Because there are so many wounds that are blinding God's people. I have friends that are, that are in love for Christ. But they are limited because they are blinded because of these wounds. And the wounds are understandable in some of the things that they've gone through. They're, they're legitimate. They've experienced legitimate wounding of this. But we got to get past this to a place of healing so we can have fullness. We got to get over the pride of our origin, our ethnic groups. There's only one group. You're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and the city of Zion. There is no new sin or transgression or iniquity. There's nothing new under the sun. In fact, when we go back to uh, the book of Judges, I think it's Judges chapter 12, even amongst the tribes of Israel, there was already starting to division because there's a natural tendency in, in humankind for sin, transgression, iniquity. So they were picking on the, the Ephraimites because they could not pronounce a certain word. So in Judges chapter 12, they say, ah, you want to pick out who the Ephraimites is? They cannot say Shemboleth. They have an accent. <laughs> So they were already starting to separate out those groups. Psalm 147, verse 2. And then we will jump to Noah and the table of nations. Psalm 147, verse 2. Yahuwah does build up Jerusalem. He gathers together the outcasts of Israel. He's going to gather all the outcasts of Israel. Outcasts of Israel means all of them that have been sifted. And he did not lose a single one. Not a single one fell to the ground without his knowledge. Another reason that I want to dig into this is because when he is about to return, when the, the, the nations of the earth come to this valley of decision, and we're going we're gonna to see different decision points. The next decision point is, do you want to be free or do you want to be in bondage? We need to be able to receive everybody who's ready. Anybody that wants to repent, I'm all in. So real important to, to have that kind of mentality and have that mindset. Okay, Genesis 9.27. Let's dig into Noah. Another layer of these people groups. This is now going to tie us back to what is happening in Isaiah 66, 19 and 20. Genesis 9, 27. Elohim shall, and the words translated enlarge, not true. It's more of persuade, J-Path. And he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. Now, Canaan is the offspring of Ham. So Canaan is not Ham. Ham has other sons and daughters. Specifically, this is talking about Canaan. But Japheth is, we're going to read this, is kind of all over the earth as, it's, as Japheth's descendants are spreading out. And they are going to dwell in the tents of Shem. Real important to understand. Because, uh, hold off on that thought for now. 
So JPATH spreads out throughout the entire earth, and they are to be under the leadership of Shem. Oh, and by the way, the Palestinians are, are Shemites, um, the, the uh, Ishmaelites are Shemites, and we went through all these groups of Shemites, right? So that's a part of the house of Shem. So JPATH is supposed to dwell in the house of Shem. Ham, different than Canaan, is supposed to live alongside Shem. So what's happening is Ham living alongside Shem, Japheth dwelling in the tents of Shem, Shem being like the stars of the heaven, the sands of the seashore, is really intermingled all together right away, Japheth, Shem, Ham. It's all a mixing right from the beginning. The only group that's kind of unique there in a negative way is Canaan. And we know about the Canaanites. But Shem, Japheth, and Ham are all kind of intermingled. Genesis 10, verse 5. Genesis 10, verse 5. Now check this out. This is talking about Japheth. By these were the islands of, there's that word Gentile. No, it's nation, it's Goy. Israel scattered amongst the Goy. By these, all the descendants of Japheth, were the islands of the nations divided in their lands, every one after his tongue and after their families and after their nations. And if we back up now and look at some of these names, we start to see the tie to Isaiah 66, 19 and 20. Verse 2. And the sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, ooh, Magog, you mean Magog and Gog? Yes, 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 yes. Uh, Madai, those were the Medians, the Persians and the Medes. Javan, that was mentioned in Isaiah 66. Tubal mentioned in Genesis 66. Meshach mentioned in 66. Tyrus, Tyre, we're going to get into that. The sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, where we get the Ashkenazis. That's where they come. There's Japheth. So check this out. Most of the Palestinians who are Ishmaelites are very much more Semitic than the Ashkenazi Jews who are Japhethites. That's how mixed up everything is. Um, Ripath, Togomar, those are the sons of Japhan. So by these, the islands of the nations were divided in their lands and everyone in his tongue. Okay, so islands. The word island in Strong's is 339, and I'm going to put this in the chat so you guys can see this. Okay, so islands. It's from Aleph Yod. Now check this out. This is the meaning of an island. So we know that mountains have their purpose. Rivers and waters have their purpose. Trees have their purpose. Islands have their purpose. Aleph Yod means strong, closed hand, meaning the islands are hiding spots. In the earth realm, islands are hiding spots for just about anything, but specifically it's hiding spots for people groups. Think Galapagos Islands. When they visited the Galapagos Islands, it was almost as if they said this, centuries went by and didn't tell the Galapagos. It was a hiding spot for all kinds of animal species. 
islands, strong closed hands, hiding spots. All right. I have been holding off on islands because now this is going to make sense in this conversation regarding people groups. Isaiah 49. This is how we started off today. Isaiah 49. The beginning of our entire study, verse one. Listen, O islands, unto me. And hearken, you people. Why is Yahuwah speaking to the islands? Because islands, you have been hiding my people on purpose and also both good, for good reasons and for bad reasons. I want you now to give up the people. I want you to let them free so they can come back and find me. That's what's happening. So you have Israelites that are hiding in islands who don't know who they are all over the world, all over the world. Um, Isaiah 50, 51, verse 5. <clears throat> Isaiah 51, verse 5. Remember, we're still talking about Zion. There's the whole series of every time I hit island, I just passed over it, passed over it, passed over it for a purpose because I wanted to kind of wrap it up here. Isaiah 51, 5. My righteousness is near. My salvation has gone forth. And my arms shall judge the people. The islands shall wait for me and on my arm shall they trust because the islands had a specific mission and that was to hide things closed strong hand strong closed hand isaiah 60 isaiah 60 verse 9 surely the islands shall wait for me they were to do a job until the very last days. And the ships of Tarshish first to bring my sons from far, their silver and their gold with them unto the name of Yahuwah their Elohim and to the Holy One of Israel because he has glorified you. So the islands were doing this. They were holding. Yahuwah's people have been preserved within the nations of the earth, hidden in plain sight. Intermingled with people groups having their names changed over the course of time. Here's, a, here's another example of hiding in a negative way. In the Mediterranean, uh, the islands of Malta, you guys can search this on your own if you want, but the islands of Malta, Gazo, Kamino, um, those three islands in particular are known as the islands of the giants. So when you do, go do, do the search on Malta, Gazo, and Kamino, I'll put these in the chat but I will send this out in my notes. You search this by islands of the giants and they have a unique history of having giant uh, burial mounds all over the place. So it was a hiding ground for them. So giants were hiding in that island. Now, some of these names of JPath. Because JPath is going to be spread out everywhere. It's going to take on the names of the nations of the earth. And Israel is going to, they should have been, JPath should have been serving Israel. But what does Satan do? He tries to reverse it. So now Israel is serving JPath. Remember, anything that God is planning on doing, 
Satan's trying to do the opposite. We worship at the tree of life, which is Yeshua. He has the gardens of Baal with that tree in it and the Kabbalah tree. Same thing here with Genesis 9.27. Japheth is supposed to dwell in the tents of Shem. So what is it? <clears throat> Losing my voice. <clears throat> what does Satan want to do? He wants Shem to dwell in the, in the, in the tents of Japheth. Well, wow. So when we think about going all the way back to the, the sons in Jeremiah, oh, I'm blanking on, on, on uh, where, where it is in Jeremiah, but the ones that have infiltrated the, the Canaanites that have infiltrated into Israel, they say we are tent dwellers. We do not farm. What are they saying? We are reversing Genesis 9.27, and we're going to have Shem dwell in our tents. So who now is in charge of the tents? The Ashkenazis. So we have now Shem, Israel, dwelling in the tents of Ashkenazis because Genesis 9.27 has been reversed. See how all this kind of, kind of comes together and, and plays together? So now back to Isaiah 66.19 talked about Tarshish. So let me talk about Tarshish a little bit. This will come to a very interesting conclusion, I think. Tarshish was in Spain. That was near the Strait of Gibraltar. That's why it's mentioned so often in scriptures, because the Israelites, through the Phoenicians, through Israel, through the Egyptians, through the Libyans, were traveling and dominated the seas and went all the way out to Tarshish, the Strait of Gibraltar, because they were sailing all the way out there. So Tarshish is part of the settlements of Israelite colonies, Phoenician colonies. Well, they are also intermingled and descendants of Javan and Japheth, Genesis 10, 4, Javan and Japheth. They are associated with ships and islands throughout scripture. Psalm 72, let me show you this. Psalm 72, verse 10. <clears throat> the kings of Tarshish and the islands shall bring presents. The king of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts. You'll see where this is going when we get to this place. But Tarshish and islands are often connected because the Israelite, Phoenician, Egyptian colonists were all master seafarers. So they're connected with islands. All right, so that's Psalm 72, 10. Isaiah 23, 10. Check this out. Isaiah 23, 10. <clears throat> Pass through your land as a river, O daughter of Tarshish talking about Phoenicia. So now you're connecting Phoenicia and Tarshish. Phoenicia, I already connected with Israel, and we're connecting it with islands. Ezekiel 27. I've been going on a lot about history just kind of off the cuff and i don't have i don't have you know some sources i want you guys to search this out but now i want to start building a few scriptural references here so you can see this so it's really really plain 
Ezekiel 27 and verse 13. Javon, oh, back up to verse 12. Ezekiel 27, verse 12. Tarshish was your merchant, trader. By reason of the multitude of all kinds of riches, with silver, iron, tin, lead, they traded in their fares. Javan, Tubal, Meshach, there's that, those descendants of Japheth that are also mentioned in Isaiah 66. Isn't this interesting how they're repeatedly all over scripture and in Isaiah 66? They were merchants. Listen to this. They traded the persons of men and vessels of brass in your markets. We have at the root Israelite colonies intermingled with Japheth. Israelite colonies were supposed to be the tents. They were supposed to have the tents. Japheth was supposed to dwell in the tents. This starts to get reversed over the course of time. Israel dwells in the tents of Japheth. Japheth is now intermingled with Israel. So you have Israelites trafficking Israelites. This is long ago in Ezekiel, he's saying this. Okay, Lud. Lud's another name mentioned in Isaiah 66. Genesis 10, verse 13. Where does Lud come from? L-U-D. Genesis 10, 13. <clears throat> Now, these are the descendants of Ham. So Genesis 10, 13, in Mitzrayim, which is Egypt, begat Ludum. So Lud comes from Egypt. Lud is also mentioned in Isaiah 66. Well, back to Ezekiel 27, verse 10, they of Persia and of Lud and of Put were in your army, they are men of war, they hang the shield and helmet in you, they set forth in comeliness. So Lud is in the group with Tarshish. So you got Ham and Japheth together trafficking, who are Israelites, they're intermingled with Israelites, trafficking Israelites. Seen this? Tubal and Javan. They're also mentioned in Isaiah 66, 19 and 20. Well, let's just stay in Ezekiel 27, because I think you're getting you're seeing where I'm going with this. You have the you have the uh, table of nations in Genesis 10, and then you have this list in Ezekiel 27 of traffickers. Ezekiel 27. Verse 13, we talked about Jabal and Tubal. So now we're, we got Tarshish, we got Jabal, we got Tubal, we got Lud, we have Ham, we have Japheth, all in the mix here. And guess what? They're all tied to Tyre. This whole chapter, Ezekiel 27, back up. Verse 1, the word of Yahuwah came unto me, saying, Now, son of man, Take up a lamentation of Tyre. 
for Tyrus and say to Tyrus, O you that are situated at the entrance of the sea, which are a merchant of the people. And we know from Ezekiel that the king of Tyre is also Satan. Tyre was in Phoenicia. Who was in league with Phoenicia? Israel. Who was intermingled with Phoenicia? Israel. Who spreads out with Israel? Phoenicia. Tyre. It all ties together. So in Ezekiel 28, you have the king of Tyre being described as the prince of Tyrus. Who's Satan? Israel is trafficking Israel. Those that say that they are Jews, but are actually the synagogue of Satan. They are infiltrators. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. They are even amongst the bloodline of Israel. Yahuwah is going to force those people, those citizens of Babylon, out from amongst and separate truly the sheep from the goats, all by the fire and the sword in the last days. And he's going to reverse and put back in place Genesis 9.27 that the other sons of Noah will serve Israel. You and I again. We have been serving them from the get-go. So let's go back to Isaiah 66. And now all of this is going to really make sense. We read through Isaiah 66 to kind of get a feel of what's going on. But I went real deep into the people groups for a reason, because you got to see that Israel scattered amongst everything. There is no clean, good and bad people groups because they're intermingled with everybody. And even Israel itself was one of the most wicked countries because of their Baal worship. So now you got all this intermingling. So nobody should have pride in who or where they came from other than my pride is in Yeshua. Isaiah 66, verse 19. Now check out what happens. This is kind of the conclusion of this whole summary here. And I will, we're going to reread this. And I will set a sign among them on our hearts. And I will send those that escape of them unto the nations. So check this out. He is coming to judge all the nations. We've already been judged on the cross. Now he's going to judge the nations who are not on the cross and all the people groups of the nations. And he is going to reveal his glory to them. And then those that don't die, because he said he's going to slay them. Those that don't die that are not his, he is going to send those that escape unto the nations to Tarshish, to Pul, to Lud, that draw the bow, that are fighting against him, to Tubal, to Javan, to the islands afar off that are hiding his people, that have not heard my fame, neither have seen my glory. They shall declare my glory amongst the nations, and they shall bring, check this out, 
your brothers and your sisters as an offering unto Yahuwah. So the same people that have been trafficking God's people for millennial are going to be forced to traffic God's people back to Israel. And back into his holy mountain, which Zion now has finally had the fulfillment of her cry, what about me? You've forsaken me. Zion gets birthed into the earth, onto Jerusalem, and then God says to all the traffickers that are left over that don't die, you bring back my people. Now I force you to bring them back. That's what's happening in Isaiah 66, 19 and 20, which is the culmination of Zion being fulfilled on the earth. Yeah, I see, in, I see in the chat, this ties to Dan's message of, of Psalm 110. This is what this is. And that they are, so as they are sacrificial volunteers, now they are a sacrificial offering unto Yahuwah. And the offering is a bloodless offering. This word offering is a bloodless offering, is one of praise and thanksgiving. So now you come back in a clean vessel, which I think, probably means a new body, clean vessel, offering sacrifices and praises, and your traffickers are forced to bring you back. It's amazing. Verse 21, and I will take of them for priests and for Levites. See, now you have the holy priesthood, the kingdom of priests being brought into fold. And there are promises to the Levites. So the Levites still get to be priesthood, but they're going to have to be trained up in the priesthood of Melchizedek. And all of the, the people that have been trafficked, all of God's people that are going to be brought back, now they are going to be trained up. If, if they don't understand priesthood, they're going to be trained up as priests. I, I, maybe some of you might even be some of those that are going to train them up. And they're going to be trained up in his ways, on the trodden path, to seek his face in the east. So all these promises start to get fulfilled here in verse 21. Verse 22, for as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make. Now we understand that Yahuwah is outside of time. So he already made the, heaven, the new heavens and the earth. So but it was what he's giving to us is a time reference. So in the aspect of a time, a linear timeline, he's saying that the new heavens and the new earth is going to be after all of this stuff. It doesn't happen before. He's just giving us a time reference. And that shall remain before me forever says Yahuwah, so shall your seed and your name remain. So another word of encouragement for everybody that has their lineage completely lost, everybody that has been trafficked over and over again for millennial and in your own lifetime, he remembers your name. Your name is going to be, and you are going to be in his eyes and as eternal as the new heavens and the earth are before him forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And it shall come to pass from one new moon to another, from one Sabbath to another, shall all flesh, all of mankind in the millennial kingdom shall come to worship before, before Yahuwah. Everything gets set 
in order. The birthright, the blessing is made manifest in Israel. Zion has been made manifest on the earth. The heavens and the earth are connected and God's people are not only a kingdom of priests, but they are now rulers amongst the nations. It's the fulfillment of the parable. You've been given one talent, two talents, five talents, because you've been, you've been diligent with your five talents and produced five more. You now are going to rule over 10 cities right here in verse 23. That's what this is about. And then there's this little thing about the fear of Yahweh in verse four which is not so little. Remember, he slays almost everybody that's not his. And it's only those that escape the slain on purpose. He doesn't just, they don't escape because they were good. Uh, they, they were out, able to outmaneuver. Yeah, he, he actually allows them to escape, to bring us all back. And, and then also to do other tasks for us. But listen to what the slain are. Verse 24. And they shall go forth. And look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me. For their worm shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh. So as this is taking place, Satan's minion's fate is this. All those that serve him that don't escape are this. Their bodies are laid on the earth for a thousand years as a reminder that the fear of Yahuwah is here. Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14, verse, uh, let's start in verse 19. Isaiah 14 is also talking about Satan. <clears throat> but you are cast out. of your grave like an abominable branch and the remnant of those that are slain same same uh event thrust through with a sword that go down to the stones of the pit as a carcass trodden under feet you shall not be joined with them in burial because they're going to be laid out on the earth for everyone to see but you have been, but but you have destroyed the land, slain your people. The seed of the evildoers shall not be renowned. Renowned. Prepare slaughter for his children, for the iniquity of their fathers. They that do not rise, nor possess the land, nor fill the face of the world with cities. See, they've been filling the world with the daughters of Babylon, the cities of Babylon. No longer. Now it's over. This is the same event taking place. Here's another passage of the same event, Isaiah 34. Isaiah 34. Mm, yeah, let's start with verse one. <clears throat> Come near, you nations, you goy, to hear and hearken. You people, let the earth hear and all that, that there is in the world and all the things that come forth from it. For the indignation of Yahuwah is upon all nations. This is the same event. And his fury upon all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has delivered them to the slaughter. Their slain also shall be cast out and their stink shall come up out of their carcasses. This is Isaiah 66, 23, same thing. And the mountains shall be melted with their blood. 
and all the host of heaven shall be dissolved. This is all of Satan's minions in the spirit realm. They're all dissolved. And the heavens, their heavens, their heavenly realms will be rolled up together as a scroll. And all their hosts shall fall down and the leaf fall as the leaf falls from the vine as the falling fig from the fig tree. That's actually a reference to the fig being reference of the house of Judah, that they have infiltrated Judah for they are Jews, but they are actually the synagogue of Satan. So you have all of Satan's minions falling from the heavens because their heavenly realms are rolled up. The carcasses of the, those that are following him are laid out and is a stink in the earth. That's Isaiah 66, 23. Verse five, for my sword shall be bathed in heaven. By the way, this is part of what I do in, in my armor is I always bathe my swords in heaven. So when I take up the sword of the spirit, I bathe it in heaven. Behold, it shall come down upon Eduma, which is Arabia, and upon the people of my curse to judgment. Who are the people of his curse? And all these people groups that we talked about. The sword of Yahweh is filled with blood. It is made fat with the fatness. So this goes to Revelation 19 as well. It goes to Isaiah 60, 60, 60, 60 64, I think it is, where he comes um, dripped in blood. So um, sword of Yahweh is filled with blood, is made fat with the fatness and the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of kidneys and rams. For he has made a sacrifice in Basra and a great slaughter in the land of Eduma. For, verse 8. For the day of Yahuwah's vengeance and the year of recompenses for the controversy of what? Zion. All of this is for Zion's sake. And who are we? We are Zion. This is the whole answer to Zion's cry. What about me? Father. Thank you for revealing the hidden treasures that you have hidden in the earth, that you have hidden in the heavens, that you have hidden in your word. We ask that you would continue to pour out the spirit of knowledge and the spirit of understanding and the spirit of wisdom. That we would take what you have shown us and may it transform our hearts, that our hearts would be humble, that our hearts would be contrite, that we would be positioned to be obedient servants in the last days, that you would say of us, well done, my good and faithful servants. Father, we bless all of your kids throughout the world, and we cast forth nets of salvation to all the lost sheep of the house of Israel, that they would come to hear the word, for we know faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And may your angelic host set a frequency of faith and a frequency of hearing that they can hear Zion's cries unto them. That Zion is crying out for her kids. That the cries of heavenly Zion unto her people would be heard and that their hearts would be in a position to respond with a yes. Respond with an asking, respond with a seeking, respond with a knocking. 
Father, we thank you that you poured out your spirit through the prophet Isaiah, and that in these days you have opened up understanding to us. May we forever be changed and ever engaged with Zion going forth in a new way. So Zion, we welcome you onto the earth. May the dews of righteousness come down from the heavens and may the earth bring forth salvation and righteousness to receive you. Yahweh, we thank you for the victory that you already have established and we loose angels of victory into the heavens and the earth and under the earth that they may shout victory, 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 that they may surround us with songs of deliverance, that they would wave the banner of Yahweh Nissi in our midst, that the trumpet of Zion would be blown, that there would be a cry unto your army, that your army would begin to align perfectly in its ranks. In listening to the commandments of the commander of hosts, Yeshua Mashiach. May your bride be ready. We bless our time and thank you for the time that you have ordained today. In Yeshua's name, amen. You've just listened to Todd Talks here at Bride Ministries International. Be sure to visit our website at bridemovement.com. You can support us by leaving a donation. You can also check out our other offerings, such as our church. You can check out our institute. We offer prayer resources and, of course, so much more.